Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to the D-Rays Bay podcast special. My name is Danny Russell. I am the managing editor of D-Rays Bay. And tonight we're keeping it tight for an instant reaction to inexplicable, stupid five-hour <laughs> playoff game. Joining me is Jamal Wilberg. Hey, Jamal. Hey, Danny. If, you know, Fenway Park wasn't old, we wouldn't love it. Well, if Fenway Park wasn't old, I feel like you don't have hope in that moment either because in most ballparks that's not even close to being gone uh so the the key moment we need to react to first foremost kevin kiermeyer has yandy diaz on base and it looks like it's about to be a homer the baseball in the 13th inning cascades down hits the top of the wall but rolls down hits the ground comes back and hits our old friend hunter renfro it skips back up and over into the bullpen and according to the rule book that is a double and i don't think the rules are fairly uh, uh characterizing uh what what should have been deserved by kevin kiermeyer for at least a triple if not, uh, Fenway should have given him a home run. Uh, it's just inexplicable that no runs were scored there. And not even the Kiermeyer piece. Like, I'm fine if you want to say he's Kiermeyer's at second for the double. Yeah. But how do you not give Diaz the run when he's halfway, almost rounding third? Oh, I think he's at least stepped on third when the ball lands out of bounds. He's he's getting there. He's he's like ten feet away, just depending on the angles and if they had it all timed up the same way. But either way, that's true. He's like ten feet from third base when that ball bounces, and then it bounces off of Renfro mm-hmm. over the wall. So even if there's not a wall there, the ball gets away from the center field or from the outfielder. There's no way they're making that throw to home when he's got a full head of steam. How that run doesn't score. There's got to be some umpire discretion, some, I mean, we talk about the human element and we see ridiculous things get considered because a human is involved. How a human couldn't look at that and determine that that's a run is just mind blowing and just can't be acceptable. Now, supposedly the rule, I'm so mad right now. (laughs) Uh, John Morosi chimes in and and the way he explains it, according to the MLB rule book is even though the ball hit the wall and then hit the ground, it is not yet a hit. If the ball has not been fielded cleanly, if, uh, if a defender does not have possession of the baseball, it is not yet ruled a hit. So it does not matter that the ball hit the ground. What matters is that the ball is still live and in play. And it's all one continuous moment of an in-play ball going out of bounds. Uh, it, it's wild. We actually saw this once before. Adam Sanford uh, jumped in our Slack chat and, and he shared a play where uh, Tommy Pham is in left field. They're playing in Toronto. Uh, there's two men on base and the batter lines essentially a ground ball to Tommy Pham in left field and he goes to to field the baseball and he accidentally when he he scoops it with his glove accidentally throws the ball out of bounds and even though two runners should have scored they actually called the second runner who scored back and put him on third base so there was men on first and second the man on first was placed at third because the rule was Tommy Pham had not cleanly fielded the ball and therefore, it was still a live ball in play, and it's all just the same ground rule, double rules. So there is consistency dating back a couple of years. We have seen this before happen to the Tampa Bay Rays uh, in, in the in the reverse fashion. In that case, it benefited the team. In this case, it's still bullcrap. 
Like it, even though that's the rule, it the rule book needs to change. Yeah, and and I think for me, it's one of those things to where and and I get it. And God bless Adam's memory to be able to pull that up right there on on the spot. But how is it? The whole reason that Renfro's even where he's standing is because the outfields are playing back in order to stop a double. Right. And if you still successfully get a double after that, that sounds like an error to me. You're in position to stop the very thing that occurs. And, and I get it. It's the rule book. It's got to change rule 5.05A8 as I see it on the screen as they're talking to, to Kiermaier. That rule's got to change and adjust to where if the fielder should have had it, you know, maybe there, there's an error and, and a double. we got to figure something else out and figure out where these – We've got too much analysis to look at running speed. We can tell you feet per second that the runner's going. We know the average arm strength of of that outfielder. We could reasonably figure out if there was a chance for that to score. I mean, you're a stronger man than I am to still have the game playing in the background. The moment Vasquez made contact, I turned it off. I looked at my wife and I said, this is over. And I turned it off before the ball landed. I, 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 I feel for Luis Patino, who should have been the game four starter. He gets brought into the game because Kevin Cash makes a decision there. And, and maybe we'll circle back to that in just a second. Uh, Patino got a little wild in the previous at bat. And so he fed a fastball essentially down the middle. All night fastballs down the middle had just not been made contact with. And so for Christian Vasquez to figure this out, the, the troll under the bridge, uh, he he's an ugly fella. So I, I'm furious at all the Boston tropes that came out in this game between Kyle Schwarber and Kike Hernandez and Christian Vasquez. It's just a, a cluster of classic Boston uh, scrubs who get turned into postseason heroes. I mean, Kyle Schwarber, you've seen this first baseman a hundred times for the Red Sox in the playoffs. This is what Red Sox first baseman look like. They're dudes who've never played first base before. <laughs> when they try to play first base, they throw the baseball over the pitcher fielding. Uh, but apparently they're magnanimous and they're chubby white dudes who will probably be drinking at a bar until 4 a.m. after the game. Like that's what Kyle Schwarber is. Kike Hernandez is the Duster Bedroya. He's the tiny guy on the field. Uh, apparently he gets to be a postseason hero. Now we have a lengthy uh, postseason appearance. We get to another uh, a Hauk, and now we have a Pavetta to go with the Eovaldi. This is Boston sports through and through, Boston sports 101, and now we get a tuck rule. We get a tuck rule with the ball bounding up and in off of Renfro and out of bounds. Uh, all we needed was a cop in the in the bullpen sticking two fists in the air to celebrate uh you know, Kiermaier not coming around and it being an in, in the park home run or something. I, I don't I don't know what my expectations are. My expectations are two run score on that play, even though we're saying at least Yandi should have scored. We had a first baseman in that game tip his cap after making a routine play and was celebrated by all the fans in attendance. Like you're when you talk about what it what a Boston first baseman is, that's what we saw in this game. And I just still can't get over the fact that this game ended by a rule that most people did not know existed 30 <laughs> minutes ago. And every, you know, at some point, there's just got to be a reasonable person application to a moment. A reasonable I like, person I like the watching error. the I like game. I like the error response that you had. It watching is an it, error. It was an error. And so you got the ground rule double and you've got the error and the error advances, you know, one base past the double, which is where I think everyone reasonably thinks that play ends. Kiermaier on third, you know, the run scores, and then you move on to Zanino, who still probably strikes out. But we'll right. see how that goes. But man, no, it's... Mo momentum it's, shifts, things change. It, uh, well, actually, does if there's a run scoring... Does the pitcher stay in? Do we start warming someone else up? There's there exactly. are still other implications that could happen. But when <laughs> wow, it's just wild. It is absolutely wild just to think about. Uh I mean, I'm furious that uh I actually Kyle Schwarber is fun. You're talking about him tipping the cap. So he he rainbowed the the throw to 
first base uh, when Eovaldi was trying to cover and it's an error and that's funny. And then he makes the throw the second time he has the opportunity and he does a little fist pump to the crowd and the crowd is super into it. And he tips his cap. Baseball's supposed to be fun. Yes. That was really funny. If there's any other team involved as the visiting team in that game, I am celebrating, enjoying, and just absolutely loving that moment. You're right. It was fun. It was funny. The crowd played into it. Saw people tipping their caps in the, in the crowd as well. Uh, But yeah. It's uh, so many great moments that will get overshadowed by an interpretation of a rule. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, I was overjoyed when Kyle Schwarber left the game, if we're being honest. That dude started the game with another just monster home run. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. Into the green monster. Yeah. Uh, and they lifted him for Bobby Dahlbeck in the middle of the game as a as a pinch runner. That's a terrible mistake by Alex Cora. A few. I mean, you, you look at, you know, one thankful when Eovaldi leaves the game. Thankful when Schwarber leaves the game. Um, was hoping we can get Prefetta to leave the game, but uh, you know those were those were the moments. And then even and the game was a couple other pitching changes where you know Cora had some folks that were doing well, pulled them. Red Sox fans uh, reacting and and thinking that he's crazy. It's just so funny watching fan bases react when a pitcher gets pulled that they think is you know dealing or hasn't thrown a whole lot. But yeah, no, ha- having Bobby Dahl back in absolutely would rather have that as the game was getting late. Like these are all the things that really felt like there was a real chance the Rays were coming back. And this could be one of those just moments in Rays history that, that fans always enjoy. And, and David Robertson pitches a second inning, which he, he did do once before during the regular season, September 28th, he, he pitched two innings and he did it again in the postseason. way to go vet way to step in and, and shoulder two innings. And Colin McHugh had been warming earlier in the game. And I'm thinking, wow, another mistake Alex Cora made is he burned his starter for game four. Pavetta is being used right now. The Rays are going to avoid that mistake. Let's just bring in Colin McHugh, who as a reliever can can go one or two innings or three or four because he has length in him. And then if he, he but maybe he could also pitch the next day too. Like why why did we not use McHugh? What did you think about the decision to go to Luis Patino in that moment? I thought we, I thought McHugh would make more sense. Sorry, get McHugh back in, at least get some confidence back up if he can get a couple of good innings in because he didn't have a couple of good innings last time we saw him uh, in the trop Friday night, and then keep keep game four with Patino alive because to your point, the Red Sox were burning through everything. So we still don't know what game four is going to fully look like for either team, which can easily make this a 2-2 series um, when this is all said and done, just because who knows what anyone's going to have to throw out and, and who's available. But yeah, I thought that saving Patino would have made sense. Maybe put put McHugh out, see what else we could scrape together. Got a couple innings from Robertson, but yeah, just so much more that was that was there. And you really hate to see uh, Patino go out. Don't know how much he has left, if we'll be able to see him tomorrow or not. Um, right. But it'll be interesting. I mean, it's the playoffs. You almost think, well, anyone's willing to do anything at this point, right? Um, if you Potential ask- elimination, if it doesn't work out, there's nothing beyond that, right? So... And maybe, you know, both of the Shanes can throw an inning or something like that. It's just a bullpen session at that point. So you really never know. Uh, maybe Core thinks it's a good idea to throw Chris Sale back out there. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I'd love to see Chris Sale for like one or two innings, you know, Absolutely. Uh, based on the, the previous the previous outing. Um, gosh, yeah, I didn't love the Patino choice. Uh, but then once he was in, it felt great until it didn't. Right. Uh Pumping 96, 97, 98. I thought that was actually going to play out a little bit. 
before we kind of walk through the whole game, I want I want to go through the whole game and think through any other moments that stand to us as fun or or worth mentioning and reacting to in this instant reaction. But I think one of the most important things that jumped on the screen for me during this game uh, was a statistic that said teams that are uh, that win game three after a split series. So in a game of five, if it's one and one. The team that wins game three wins the ALDS 54% of the time. That's still a coin flip. Yeah, I think that was since 2013, they were saying, uh, if, if I remember that correctly. But yeah, it's it's essentially a coin flip because it, it's a 50-50 chance the next game, right? And then you've got one more to go. So it's, there's still plenty to go. I just think that the way that these last two games have gone Um, make it really easy to, to become discouraged, but man, it was, it was a close game the whole way. And then again, you come down to 13 and get a chance to get it. The Rays throw a shutout. The Rays get blown out. And then you have an extra inning loss on a crazy fluke play in the 13th inning. This is a competitive series. That's a, I know that the Red Sox come out of that two to one advantage, but in my brain, one team won big, one team won big, and then it's a push. If you're losing in the 13th inning, 13th inning it's like whatever. Uh, it, it's, it's silly. It feels so close. Let's go to the first inning. Yeah, I was about to say, if, uh, if not for the ending, I don't yeah. think we go this long in the reaction without bringing up the names Wander Franco and Austin Meadows. I know. I know that's exactly where I wanted to go because I'm still thinking about that Meadows uh, uh, Homer where a great, great, great um, bat direct, uh, barrel direction, just getting the barrel to the ball, uh, a great swing path all the way through. What was so wild and impressive about that is we hadn't seen Austin Meadows. <laughs> Two games had gone by. Did he have an at-bat? Late. He did late in game in game two. And then everyone was like, well, where was he earlier in the game? If, if I remember correctly. But uh, yeah, but Austin for his career against Ivaldi was eight for 21 with five extra base hits coming into this game. So with 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 Ivaldi on the mound, that's who I would really want on the plate. And he delivered in that moment. And so once again, there's this 2-0 lead in the first inning and things are feeling really good until they don't because the next 13 batters for the Rays, it's 0 for 13 after that uh, Meadows double. I mean, Nate Ivaldi just had his A game again. He was pumping heat. He was filling the zone. Uh, He followed up that Meadows home run by striking out both Cruz and Choi with quality pitches. I mean, Cruz didn't have a great night generally, and Choi didn't make it the whole night because he got swapped out later so it it, hard for me to say about Troy Cruz maybe was having a bad night but even after that home run I was like oh I'm glad we put a couple on Ivaldi now and then uh you know maybe things get even worse uh you know Ivaldi started to lose it in the seconding a little bit and that's the last time he looked shaky after that you know you've got a couple uh Mike Zanino battles right where Mike Zanino just came to play today uh you know he didn't have the results but carving a or or chewing up 10 11 or 12 pitch at bats just a a heroic performance for mike zanino uh to to prolong pitching outings and and to push evaldi out of the game by the end of the fourth evaldi had thrown 66 pitches wild yeah a sixth sixth of those was in the second inning against zanino but in those first two innings though evaldi all six outs were strikeouts and so he's got although we start getting his pitch count starts getting up and those pieces start coming together he was still getting race hitters to strike out and then at red sox start putting in one run and you just feel like man two's not going to be enough two's not going to be enough and then slowly chip away at the lead becomes a 2-1 game 2-2 game and then next thing you know it's it's just uh starts getting out of hand and start feeling a little bit nervous you know when it gets to be a 4-2 game Mm. i mean i I don't know about you i was nervous when i woke up this morning so (laughs) yeah no absolutely it's uh 
you know, Kiki Hernandez just looking just created player video game esque in and to start the game, uh, you know, just going. <laughs> Uh, what he had at one point a hit in six straight uh, played appearances and yeah. then just kept going and kept going and just felt like, what's it going to take to get Kike out? What's it going to take to get a leadoff hitter out? And then that's when, I don't know about you, but the momentum felt like it started to shift after six straight innings, leadoff hitter gets on base for the Red Sox. You stop that in the seventh and then you mm. start race, start putting a little bit of offense together. It just starts feeling like this might be the moment when things shift. You know, so that's two different, very important Kike Hernandez moments because uh, in the fifth inning, Pete Fairbanks comes in because Drew's my, we didn't even talk about Drew Rasmussen not having uh, his slider today. And when you're a two pitch pitcher and you don't really have either of your pitches, that's a problem. Uh, Pete Fairbanks comes in in the fifth inning and gives up a, a, a blast of a home run to Kike Hernandez that went over the monster out of the park. I mean, I so I, I jotted it down. It was 109.8 miles an hour. It looked faster. That I've never seen a home run get out of the park as fast as that one did. Little Kike Hernandez is a star, and it's so frustrating. And speaking of managerial decisions, Kittredge only threw 16 pitches. Do you bring Kittredge back out for the fifth, or do you go with Fairbanks in that moment? Well, so that's two up and downs. And so I don't know if Kittredge has a good track record of three up and downs you know what i'm talking about yep like good spreading into the third frame i don't i didn't feel great about kittredge anyway actually when he had only thrown 16 pitches like sweet we can use him tomorrow like that was my frame of mind there so i did i didn't mind kittredge not coming out for a third inning just because i didn't really trust him to go that long uh i didn't know how long he was gonna have to sit there you know pete fairbanks though i mean I, I didn't have a lot of confidence coming off of his injury mid-year. Uh, you know, I really he had like a good stretch down the second half. I don't I don't want to like besmirch his season or anything, but he had a few outings where things got shaky. And I have I he hasn't seen like the dominant guy that was uh a part of that stable last year. Um and, and that that home run makes me very worried. And, then, you know, the trainers are coming out to check. No, it's not the trainer. It's the groundskeeper coming out to check <laughs> because the mound is like sopping wet for some reason, which makes no sense. And Pete Fairbanks has that little hop that he does. He lands on his plant foot and then he like hops and pivots his ankle. It's so weird. Uh, so maybe maybe save Pete for game five. I don't know. Um, Kike Hernandez comes back up and in the seventh inning, God bless. Kike finally is a leadoff hitter who does not have a hit to start an inning. The Rays went one, two, three, four, five, six innings in a row where the leadoff hitter had a hit. That is demoralizing in and of itself. And the fortitude of this team not to just <laughs> mentally fall apart when the Red Sox are just getting hit after hit after hit was uh, inspiring in and of itself. And what was interesting about that is it was against Whistler. Who I thought he was injured. What's he doing in the game? In the game, bottom of the seventh, up against Hernandez, who again it was having a postseason. No one's gone eight for nine in back-to-back postseason games in the same series ever. <sighs> and so then you've got Matt Whistler, as I can imagine someone in Boston calling him. Like, who's this Whistler, Whistler. kid out there? Whistler. Right? I mean, you know, s- sounds like a generic uh, licorice candy that you might be able to get on, on the store. Uh, out there, just goes up against him and gets him out. And again, that's not a run, but that's a huge moment if you if you believe in momentum and mental aspects of a ball game and what that does to human beings that play the game. And then only to need five more pitches to get out the inning, thanks to, again, incredible catch by Austin Meadows. Absolutely. That the Bogart hit it, down he, the line. He, he's sprinting it down. And we saw a couple different times where people are ranging in front of the monster. But that was one where uh, Meadows was not only ranging, but he had to stab it. He had to reach out and like really go out there and get it like a snake jumping and getting its prey off at a distance. It, it was a great grab. Yeah, the 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 XBA of that was 750. The other 250 is Austin Meadows, right? I mean, just going out there, just grabbing it. And again, just all of that starts to feel like, okay, you're not making all of these moments just to 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 drop it in the end. 
And then Whistler and the came eighth. out again. Whistler yeah. was back in the eighth inning. But that was after, in the top of the eighth, you oh, know, Wander. Well, well, let's come back to that. Let's finish the Whistler conversation because I, I, uh, I was so in, in awe of the injured Whistler who has an injured finger is continuing to do his thing and throw his sliders in it, and they're working. Drew Rasmussen could throw a slider to save his life tonight. Whistler could, apparently, even though we got multiple, we got a whole off day of reports that Whistler's injured and speculation of who they'll replace him with on the roster. He throws two innings in this game. Uh, that the eighth inning, Kevin Kiermeyer comes in, he slides to get a baseball that yep. was dropping in front of him. Uh, immediately, I'm like, oh no, KK's hurt. He wasn't. And then and then it moves over to uh, Chargois. But uh, way to go, uh, Matthew Redvines. You did great tonight. Uh, I'm, I hope you don't pitch tomorrow. I hope you're, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're healthy and well. Um, eighth inning. Uh, the eighth inning felt like the ball game. When the yep. moment came and it's Franco Meadows Cruz, I texted my dad. I was like, this is the ball game. And he's like, yep. And Franco goes to the monster against the Red Sox closer who's brought in in the eighth inning, Hansel Robles. I mean, it, Robles tried four fastballs up and away. He wanted nothing to do with Franco, and he thought he could make him look like a rookie. I don't know. I don't know exactly what he was thinking. It was four fastballs up and away. The, the first two were balls. The third was in the zone, and then Franco knew exactly what he was looking for. The fourth one comes, and he buries it in the monster. Well, doesn't bury it because it then got thrown back into the field of play. But Way to go, Wander Franco, the eighth wander of the world, uh, as the Matt uh, Vazgarian. I can never say his last name right. Was it, can you say that name? I Va- Vazgarian. I, I can't, but I know that I'm glad that they took Brasser out the game. <laughs> so oh, I can't when you talk about you know, but you know, Wander crushes it, and it just feels it feels different at that moment. It's a it one run game. Finally, speaking of the the leadoff momentum, he's leading off in that inning. Rays were having no leadoff success. And for him to crush that ball over with Meadows coming to the plate, everything just felt like it was moving in the race to race. And then Juan Meadows gets his second double of the game. Robles continues making baffling decisions. So after four fastballs to Franco, oh, that didn't work. He tried two consecutive change-ups to Austin Meadows. Who taught this guy how to call pitches or, or uh was it the catcher that made that decision was it the pitcher that made that decision? i'm not sure two change-ups in a row when you haven't even established the fastball yet wildly confusing uh meadows knew exactly what it was looking for on the second pitch also uh that goes out in a lot of ballparks that double that uh meadows hit it bounced off the green monster down and in and it's off in the triangle i would venture to guess that there's more than one ballpark where that's a home run yeah, no, it was it was it was deep and it was good and and again it just all of it starts coming together, and then you've got Manny Margot in pinch running and and postseason Randy comes to the plate, and then just hits another double to tie the game. Which, as we talk about moments of this game, uh, rounding first base, Schwarber still in at this point. And, uh, you know, Randy takes a tumble after coming off a Schwarber's shoulder. How is you want to talk about baseball rules that don't make sense? How is there not a baseball rule that you can get like ejected or something for crossing into the base path of somebody running in front of you? Or, I mean, I know that Kyle Schwarber is not used to being a first baseman and you could make the argument that he wasn't watching the play. But when they show the slow-mo, Kyle Schwarber has turned to look at Rondi as he as he's rounding first base, right? You know exactly where you are. You are at least have to be aware that you're in the vicinity of where a runner could be crossing your path and then totally trips him up. If this were soccer, I mean, that's at least a yellow card. And then you start making an argument that like the fans are mad that it's not a red. Uh, it would be a red if he was on his way to score. Maybe you're only heading into second, hoping to stretch into third, but like, how does baseball not have something there where if you interfere with the base runner, that there is a consequence? I mean, surely there is a rule. 
Maybe. I mean, there's a lot of rules we're learning about that we didn't really understand how they're fully written tonight. But speaking of interference, and and you make the the soccer reference, I'll make the other football reference to pass interference, where if you're not looking at the receiver or are actively trying to make a play on the ball, it's interference. And to me, him having his back turned and not paying attention to the base runner that's clearly coming his way when he's in the base path is interference because he didn't he wasn't even looking to see if he was maybe blocking or out of the way to attempt to move. So, again, make me commissioner for the day or whatever. And that's the, another rule that we've got to look at. And you can't just turn a blind eye if someone's turning around the corner. Otherwise, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of teams just start doing that. Oh, just turn around. And if they bump you, they bump you. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Uh, try to run through G-Man Joy. <laughs> Uh, Jamal what was this game man this sucked yeah it's terrible but way to go Rondi to to tie the game I'm so glad he wasn't hurt he was limping everywhere after that play Uh, it looked like he was calling the trainers out and then maybe not. It was super confusing. And, then, and maybe leaving the game, but then maybe just getting a drink of water. That was the silliest part. He went into the <laughs> dugout and we're all like, oh, crap. This is, the postseason is basically over. And then he gets a sip of water and then goes back out to the field. Who does that? What has that ever happened? And he's Are getting these- high fived and he's going in. Like everything looks like he's exiting the game. And it's just, uh what was this game? And it's 4-4 at this point. It's a tie game, right? And then it's you get to the ninth, that it's still a tie game, uh, you know, because uh, as much as we talk about postseason Randy, uh, there's a postseason Brandon that also uh, doesn't really help us when we need him to the most. Brandon Lau's inability to do anything in the postseason boggles the mind there was multiple moments tonight where the broadcast used the word like unbelievable like kike hernandez got another single unbelievable right if you're a broadcaster you should not be allowed to use the word unbelievable it literally just happened in front of you do not use that word i don't think you know what the word means unbelievable right the, uh, not the, scoring not scoring a runner that's yeah, yeah not you know, scoring the runner that's that, that's kind of unbelievable. That was unbelievable. Yes, that play was unbelievable. And if you were going to use it for something, you're welcome to use it then. Brandon Lau's inability to hit a breaking ball or anything that's not a fastball at this point is inexcusable because something happened. The calendar turns to October. And it, what's the opposite of Mr. October? Brandon Lau. Ouch. No, it's it's uh, I I don't know, and I don't really mean to like to like pick on Brandon or anything like that, but it's it's just so unexplicable currently. Just what happens when when it gets this late in the season, and he goes from a guy with a career, you know. 340 odd base percentage. The dude uh, batting like 450 in Fenway Park, and he couldn't hit a single pitch tonight. I think his postseason uh, average and perhaps on base percentage are both less than his body weight. It's got to be. It, uh, yeah, I think not, it's within the realm of possibility. Lau is below 100 now in the postseason history. Yeah, so coming into tonight, he had a 126 average in the postseason and a 182 uh, on base percentage. And then he, he weighs 180. He weighs 185, so none of those improved. So, uh, also, yeah, also can, 185. No, no, he doesn't. Listed at 185. Listed at 185 say. when he was a prospect. I think I've told this story on the on the podcast before. Have you heard when I met Brandon Lau? I haven't. So I'm in the clubhouse. I'm on a credential and Brandon Lau has been promoted. And it's a big surprise, right? No one's really expecting Brandon Lau to be promoted at this point. And he's listed as like six foot. And, you know, maybe like 185 is still the weight that it was at the time. And I'm looking around the clubhouse trying to identify Brandon Lau and I don't see him. 
but I know he's supposed to arrive. If I remember correctly, he was given like the number 35 jersey, which was funny because then Nate Lowe also wore the number 35. So I think they just recycled Brandon Lau's old jersey. Uh, maybe. So I'm looking around to find Brandon Lau and I see a clubby, I think. And so I walk over literally with the intent to say, hey, have you seen Brandon Lau? And when I walk over to this dude who is shorter than I am, and I am 5'10", an honest 5'10", not, not like a Tinder 5'10", or something like not, that. Not listed at 5'10"? I'm not listed at 5'10 on the Rays roster. Uh, uh, if, I was, if I was on the Rays roster, apparently I'd be like 6'1", because I walk over to this dude to ask him where I could find Brandon Lau, and he turns and looks at me and goes, wow, it's so cool to be here. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it's you. <laughs> oh, anyway, that's Brandon Lau in the playoffs, too. That is. He's just turning around, just wow. It's so cool to be here, Fenway Park. And I'm at bat. <laughs> Not, who knows? You know, maybe maybe game four, Brandon Lau's the hero. And and all of this. Uh, all of this is for naught. Do you know who the big winner of tonight's game is? Ooh, the big winner. It's not Christian Vasquez? It's not. Tell me. It's the company with the outfield signage where that play happened. Oh, on the bullpen? For Kiermaier? Yeah. No, for, yeah, for Kiermaier's hit. Whoever uh, Granite Electric Supply is, they're getting... <laughs> They're getting millions of dollars worth of advertising that they did not anticipate. So that is my low-key winner of this game coming out of it. Because I bet there's no way they expected when they got that spot that they would get this much postseason attention. I, You know, I've paid such close attention to this postseason, and I'm I'm mad I couldn't come up with that sign because I'm pretty sure the monster, I can name the monster signs. It's like the the Jim Beam ad. Uh, then there's the Jimmy Fund, and then there's the MGM Casino because it's the Big Lion. Yeah, and it's like Moderna. I, I, so I got the Green Monster down. I did not have a Granite Supply and Electric Company. Yeah, whoever they are, you know, kudos to you for for picking for picking the right spot. That would that would be the uh, pivotal moment of of the series here. Yeah, if it were Tropicana Field, it would have been the sign uh, that said, hey, we're moving to Montreal. Get excited. Um, okay, back on track. So uh, Brandon Lau was bad. You know who else was bad? Drew Rasmussen. Jamal, did you know that it was risky to start all rookies in your rotation for the playoffs? Only if it doesn't work. Uh, fair point, fair point. You know, I mean, after game one, everyone's like, yeah, these rookies. Yeah, these guys weren't even on the opening day roster. And look what just happened. And then game two or game three. I mean, it's it's for me, I, I can't then be like, well, oh, my gosh, we're starting all these rookies. And, I, and look how it worked out. And again, even with Rasmussen's contribution, if I'll use that as the right word, I don't have the right word for, for what he provided in the game. It was still an attainable uh, game for the team to win. And I think the the hard part for me was, you know, anyone that read, you know, Rosenthal's piece uh, that came out this morning ahead of the game about Rasmussen and, and his connection to the Rays and everything that happened for, from getting mm-hmm. drafted and the additional MRI. I mean, sure. it just, again, it felt, you know, like, okay, here's, you know, someone with an opportunity and then the Rays go up 2-0. And, uh, but then no. Didn't didn't work out that way. Yeah, and also the counterpoint to my quip is how long did Chris Sale last? Yep. About the same. About the same. Drew Rasmussen, uh, the slider, I I would need to go back, maybe look at some data because I made some comments. I should fess up. Ian Malinowski reached out to me after the podcast uh, instant reaction last time. He thinks that there were some uh, camera angle shenanigans that uh, Shane Boz's fastball was just as lively as it's always been. And my comment that maybe it did not have the same life uh, was maybe not correct. And so, you know, I don't want to make any commitments to what I was seeing in, in terms of how pitches were moving because I haven't looked at the data and I would much prefer to be right. However, let me throw that entire disclaimer out the window 
and say, I did not know what was going on with the slider tonight because there was in my vision, two versions of the Rasmussen slider, the very good one that swept all the way across the zone and then was out uh, dotting the bottom left corner, or maybe it was just outside and it was coaxing swings and misses and it was something interesting. And then you also had the sliders that were just kind of diving straight down. They were coming into the zone and they were going down into the zone and they were just very hittable pitches that never left the heart of the zone and they were just getting lit up. Did, did you see the same thing? Was it was it sliders not breaking or was it just poor uh, location? What, what were you thinking? You know, I don't know if it was either. Maybe if they even just had a really good scouting report on Rasmussen because something just wasn't adding up and especially in the bottom of the third when they just connected back to back to back for singles so, you know Arroyo Schwarber Kike all getting on and then that being Arroyo tying the game at that point making it 2-2 and then Rasmussen getting pulled in the bottom of the third but something just they were fully prepared for Drew Rasmussen and and so I think sometimes you got to tip your cap to uh, the other team in, in the same way of you know maybe maybe his was off with his sliders but also they seemed awfully well prepared uh, to face him tonight. Uh, maybe the Red Sox are just really good slider hitting team. If you think about what happened to McHugh and Whistler in game two, and then Whistler, you know, got away with some stuff tonight, but maybe they just hit sliders. I don't know. Maybe there's just something they all have in common. Uh, I, it, It's tough to say, you know, sometimes teams have their own characteristic. Oh yeah. That's a contact hitting team. Oh, that's a, that's a big strikeout team. The Tampa Bay Rays. How many strikeouts? 18 tonight? Uh, not not very excusable there. So I don't know. Maybe the Red Sox just have a trend or maybe their hitting coaches figured something out or maybe just, you know, sometimes that's how the cookie crumbles. Hit a hot streak at the right time. <sighs> I wanted more of a Rasmussen. I thought this was going to be a good night for him. The vibes were were trending in the right direction. In the same way the stories were being written about Shane Boz before game two. You know, yep. uh, you want that narrative to be there for you. And then it doesn't work out. Oh, man. We've gotten, I don't think we have any narratives really prepared for game four. So maybe that will work out tremendously for for the Rays. This this is not meant to be the uh the feel good stories uh for these games. It'll be the ones that, that we don't think of something will happen and will come through and, and the team will uh will see a very different performance tomorrow. Shout out to Wander Franco's defense tonight. Yep. Multiple plays ranging away from second base off to his right, fielding the ball, turning and then firing to first base. Uh one of them not for an out. Uh but just a lot of really competitive, very difficult throws. And Jordan Luplo making a great scoop at first base on one of those throws that had a had a bit of bounce just before he got there and really just, again, getting that out to make what felt like a big play that could lead to a win. You want to talk about a playoff team making someone play first base that doesn't know how to play first base. I mean, what's the money ball quote? Uh, tell them, Wash. <laughs> it's incredibly hard. It's... Uh, Jordan Luplo made that, that little one-hop make. Uh, made that look easy. So, wild. Uh, something wrong with Nelson Cruz? Don't know, but he certainly started off strong, but it's it's, uh, it's cooling off as, as it's getting. I mean, I don't know. I mean, how old is Nelson Cruz at this point? Uh, 41. So it's maybe it's something wrong with him or is he just 41? I don't know. Season I thought he was get, on the TB12 plan. Season starts getting a little long, right? The other the other night with all the popcorn in the uh, in the dugout. What was his comment that he was just hungry, right? By then, normally he's had dinner and all these things. Like sounding more like a forty one year old man than you know your uh, your slugger that's going to get you through through the postseason. The man, you know, missed his meal. We need to get yeah. some get a that's get what a I like today. to the side. Seats at five, yeah. <laughs> Just like my grandparents. Um, you know what we didn't talk about yet? Manuel Margot stealing second base and then coming off the bag twice? Twice. Manuel Margot postseason Manuel Margot base running. Yikes. I mean, I felt I felt great about Margot trying to advance on the base paths generally. He he earlier in in that inning uh, was on first base and got an incredible jump. 
it definitely looked like he had the base stolen, but then, you know, the hit and run was on and, and, you know, it, it didn't work out. He had to return, but it was just like, wow, Margot's feeling himself. He's going to be able to steal a base. No problem. And he did at first, but then he came off the bag and then he tried to, yeah, he just, get, he just slid off and, but then he got back on the bag and then Christian Arroyo applies the tag. And I think, you know, yeah, there's some out there on Twitter. You can see some screen caps. Uh, JT Morgan and I uh, were calling it out in the Slack chat. Uh, it looks like on the second uh, attempt to touch the base, Margot's foot then got pushed off or bounced off the base. One of the two when Arroyo a- applied the tag. And that was when he was out. Uh, wild. I mean, the best part about that is you were trying to make steal when Randy Rosarena was at bat. So then you get Randy again the next inning. So I at least felt okay about that. You know, I was more than happy to have Randy come back up again. But yeesh, you should have had that base stolen. Yeah, I mean, he did to your point, right? But just slid, slid off, and and a foot came right off, and then came back on, and and just got got out, and that was another rough spot because it felt like that could have been something that could have turned into a moment with with the Rosarina at the plate. What did number nine hitter Christian Arroyo do tonight? I'm pulling up the box score right now. Christian Arroyo three for five with a run scored. Wow. I mean, plus one for the Evan Longoria trade. That dude just put on a great show tonight. Yeah, I mean, the felt like the Red Sox were getting a good amount of production from the bottom of their lineup. And, you know, the Rays just weren't just all those innings that, that went through in the beginning just really felt like getting one of those to be different between mm-hmm. the uh, Meadows double and the Joey Wendell double, uh, that gap in between is really a lot of lost opportunities uh, for the race. What expectations do you have for tomorrow? I, I mean, I would imagine that game four has both Colin McHugh and Michael Walker pitching because those are the two guys we did not see tonight. Are you expecting to see Sugar Shane come in a day early to, to maybe do a little lighter work? I think you. I think you have to. I mean, if there's, if you don't get through to tomorrow, that's the. Yeah. I mean, Andrew Kitchen should be available too. So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm more. If I were building the bullpen for tomorrow, I don't think I'm as concerned about the race because you can depend on McHugh for two outs. You can pretend, or two outs. Excuse me, two innings. Michael Walker should be more than capable to get three innings, four innings, assuming that things are working the way that postseason Michael Walker should work. You know, uh, that game two wasn't the best outing, but, you know, if you put that aside, Michael Walker is a very experienced postseason pitcher who was more effective out of the bullpen because he was throwing harder. So I'd love to get a couple outs out of him. Maybe you can squeeze an ending and a half out of Kittredge. Like, I don't think the Rays are that far away from being able to put together a solid pitching performance it's boston who i guess maybe they have uh there was the one guy who was warming at the end of the game it looked like he was just getting his bullpen session in uh was it martin perez i forget and then uh tenor hauk so that's going to be their game for plan i think but it's wild tomorrow's going to be a very interesting pitching performance yeah i would love to not see uh, Huck get on the mound for for Boston at all, but I think that it's, it's going to be wild in in how both these teams go at. It. Hopefully, we can get a. Hopefully, you see Michael Walker figure some things out. To your point, Kittredge still has uh, some some pitches to throw, and and you know maybe even you think we can get uh, Pete Fairbanks back up there tomorrow. Do you think the race can can put that? I think there's a lot of guys that are probably still available. I mean, Shargua can go back to back nights. Uh, Shargua throwing 99 tonight, by the way. Uh, JP Fireisen can probably go back to back. Heck, even Josh Fleming can probably go back to back. I I don't expect David Robertson to come back out after throwing yeah. two full innings. But you're going to have two tired teams uh, going out there trying to piece together a game four, which 
can go either way. I, I don't know that you feel that there's a strength for either team in this. Uh, it's it's really going to come down. I mean, it really just might be who's these last few games have been who scores last in, in a kind of weird sort of way. Sure. Um, but this it really could be who scores first. <laughs> there might not be a lot in the tank uh, for, for either team uh, tomorrow. Rough stuff. Do you have any uh, final thoughts for us tonight before we shut down this uh, sad game through reaction? I think it's, I mean, coincidentally, though, on the day of the, you know, there's a lot, a lot of marathons going on and we have a marathon of a game. Uh, so I think that's, that's one piece that comes the, together. The, 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 the rescheduled Boston marathons tomorrow. The rescheduled, well, it was tonight, apparently, with the Red Sox and the Rays was Marathon Part 1. And then you'll go into the Boston Marathon Part 2, the actual, you know, world-known race. Wait, is um, Boston going to wear their marathon jerseys? Nike rolled out those, their their city concept jerseys were the Boston Marathon. That that was the, the colors and the font and all that. Are they going to wear those tomorrow? Are they going to wear race colors against the race? That's my question. Wouldn't that be great? That's good vibes. It would. It, it would be. It would be. You know, aesthetically pleasing. Some might say, uh, to see. And and I don't know. If, I don't think there's ever been a combined yellow and blue uh, jersey combination for both teams in baseball history. I mean, maybe there has. Maybe there hasn't. But yeah, I think we we could possibly see that tomorrow for the marathon. They would love to. That's their favorite set. They'd love to yeah, win the series wearing it to play in. Yeah. I so I think that would probably be you know one thing to to see if what what they roll out in. But I think again, fifty four percent of these series after the team wins game game three that they ultimately have gone on to win, we'll see what game four brings and and then hopefully a game five. Hey, and if you like forty six percent, that's uh, four sixty is what you know Brandon Lau has been hitting at Fenway Park. So you know. Uh... <laughs> I'm still so mad at Brandon Lau. It's the thing I'm most upset about. How does he disappear? It's the opposite of the great pumpkin. He's not Mr. October. He's Miss March. He's not the Jeez. great pumpkin. He's the, 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 the tiny butternut squash. He's, 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 What's he's, the opposite he's, of a pumpkin? Is it a plum? No, nah, he's a, he's a dog in the summer and a puppy in the fall. Oh, well, he's in the doghouse for sure. Oh, well, Brandon Lau, it's time to show up. It's time to wake up. Yeah, he's- make me make me eat, eat, eat some words here for sure. Come through, be the be the game for winner. And, and, and people, it's so funny how much people forget about, you know, Dan Johnson, right? Does anyone remember all the misses? You remember Absolutely like three not. great hits. That's all it takes to become a legend. One hit can make you a legend. It's time to Tomorrow rise might up. be your chance. The new great pumpkin. The uh, well, I guess if uh, if Dan Johnson's the great pumpkin, I guess Brandon Lowe had to be Snoopy. On that note, Jamal, let's go to bed. Yep, Dan's we'll been great. One tomorrow. The only thing I'm grateful about tonight is that this game started at four o'clock instead of seven. Likewise. All right. Appreciate you, buddy. All right. Thanks, Eddie. 